Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello, one and all. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Diabetes, the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories, and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are meeting today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and indeed the traditional owners of the lands on which you may be tuning in from. I would also like to pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging and to other Aboriginal people present today. For this podcast, I'm lucky enough to be joined by one of the most kind, bright and polite people I've ever had the pleasure to work alongside. She's an exercise physiologist, but this description doesn't even go close to doing her justice. So instead, I'll let her do that. Nicole French, welcome. Thanks so much, Jack. And that was a very kind introduction. Thanks well, so much for having me as today. As I said, you're one of the kindest people I've ever met, so I had to repay the favour. That's just lovely. Thank Even you. just got a, a very kind voice, so it's always a nice start when you're talking <laughs> with someone. So we've got a lot to cover. Obviously, you know, you work in diabetes, um, but you just you work in, in general. So um, before we get to your actual work itself, I want to spend a bit of time talking about yourself and, and I guess your journey to how you got here on this podcast today and, and how you became an exercise physiologist. So firstly, it probably goes back to uni days and your first you completed your first degree, which is a bachelor's degree. Absolutely. So I've got a couple of degrees under my belt. I'm extremely fortunate to have um, moved through Victoria University for both of those degrees. So I do have a Bachelor of Applied Science in Human Movement and a Master of Applied Science in Exercise for Rehabilitation. Um, So that just makes me equipped to be what we call an accredited exercise physiologist. I'm also an accredited exercise scientist and an occupational health consultant as well. Quite a little bit on the resume then, Nicole. Enough bit of to, a mouthful. Enough to keep you busy. So how long did these degrees take you from, from starting at VU to finishing up? How long were you studying for? About five years all up. So three years with my undergrad and two years for my postgrad. And I was extremely fortunate actually in my second year of postgrad. So in my master's year, I secured a really great position in at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, the Parkville campus. So it was a very rare opportunity to actually be working as an exercise physiologist alongside studying my master's. It was it was a fantastic opportunity and a great start to the journey. I can only imagine you would have been busy though, doing your master's and working full time. Absolutely. I also worked as an allied health assistant some of the time as well um, in a private hospital. And I wanted to get um, I wanted to get a really good understanding of both how the private and public sectors worked. So yeah, whilst doing my master's, I worked as a an allied health assistant at a private hospital and an exercise physiologist in a public hospital. Wow. So, <laughs> so I was never these, bored. No, I can only imagine you wouldn't have had the time to be to no. think about it. Was this degree what you wanted to do from high school? Did you go straight from high school? Was it something you fell into or was it sort of a long-range plan? When I finished high school, studying year 12, I really understood that I loved things in and around the human body and physiology and biomechanics. So human movement felt like the right move for me. Um, No pun pun intended. No, absolutely (laughs) So I was a couple of years into the degree and like any uni student, you sort of, any three degree, you get to year two and go, where to from here? Like when I finish uni, what am I going to be when I grow up? 
Um, and I didn't really know what the answer to that was. So um, I started having a bit of a chat to a few of the lecturers and started having a look around at the postgrad programs and absolutely fell in love with the master's program uh, in exercise rehabilitation. And the lecturer at that time, Steve Salig, was absolutely amazing. I still remember he took me into his office and he went through the list of the subjects and I looked at them and I went, Steve, I'm never going to be able to complete this sort of stuff, this level stuff. And he turned around and he said to me, if you want it bad enough, Nicole, you're going to apply yourself and you're going to get it done. Do you want it? And I said, yes. And I applied for the postgrad program and never looked back. I actually fell in love with the content and the idea of being an exercise physiologist while studying it rather than always sort of knowing what I wanted to do. So nice little challenge that he set you, I suppose. But you, you then went from saying there's no way known I'm going to get through all of this to actually becoming a lecturer yourself as well and, and spent a lot of time lecturing. So what was that process like? It was an incredible process. So who I studied under was the very gentleman that asked me then to come back and start lecturing within his program. And I was the only the second cohort through that postgraduate program long time ago. Um, so it was it was a real honour to be asked back. And I, I lectured in musculoskeletal rehabilitation and cardiorespiratory rehabilitation. Um, in, in simple English, what yes. does that mean? So um, sprains and strains and any time you hurt yourself um, – um, looking at what you do rehab-wise to get you back to your best. Um, and then for people with um, living with a heart disease, at risk of heart disease, um, pulmonary problems, so lung disease, I studied in that, um, I lectured in that for a little while and then started working into that metabolic field, which was more the diabetes and obesity, and then was lucky enough to secure an appointment over in New South Wales um, just after my honeymoon, actually. I came back and got a call. Could I spend a semester over in New South Wales studying, um, sorry, lecturing there? So I did that and that was that was incredible. So lecturing, you, you've worked in hospitals, both private and public. You, you've got, you know, your bachelor's degree and your master's degree. You then went on to start running your own business. I did. How was that to branch out on, on your own and how, how is it going? It was terrifying to begin with, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. But the thing is, is that I saw a gap. I saw a gap in services and I saw people coming through for, for six-week programs not really getting to where they could be getting to and I wanted more for them. Uh, so I decided to step out of the hospital system uh, and start working in a few medical centres, in a few gyms and with the role of being an exercise physiologist and, and really worked hard seven days a week, I'd say probably about 15 hours a day, consulting and setting up a business and all this sort of stuff. And, and five years into the journey when I'm going to wrap it all up into one location, put everything on the line and uh, started my own private practice bricks and mortar style um, and worked through that and then recognised the need to introduce physiotherapy. And so introduced physiotherapy a couple of years after that and so have now a, a rockin' collaborative healthcare practice uh, in the northwest region of Melbourne. We'll get to that in a sec, I suppose. I mean, the, the specifics around what exercise physiology is and then again how um, that works in conjunction with diabetes. But you're also now on, on a couple of advisory committees and been an ambassador for a couple of things. So, again, just filling up whatever spare time you may have had with, with just a little bit more work. Absolutely. So when I look at I get really excited about my work um, and so I always find a way to make things happen and I'm super, super passionate um, about changing the health landscape in Australia 
And I sort of figure one way to do that is through our work directly with clients in the private practice that we have. Um, But the other way to do that is to partner with key stakeholder organisations and do more ambassador work to help the organisations that can have a greater impact than sort of what ours could alone. And so I'm super passionate about children's health. And so I joined forces with Girls Uniform Agenda a couple of years ago uh, to get the issue out there that we genuinely believed that girls in secondary schools and primary schools could be doing more physical activity if they had access and choice in and around wearing shorts and pants as opposed to just skirts. Um, So partnering with that organisation, we've actually seen a great level of success now in national reform. Um, So that's all going really, really well. And in that idea of being passionate about children's health and increasing physical activity, I also partner with an organisation where I'm a steering committee member of Parents Voice. Um, And they're an amazing organisation looking at constantly improving physical activity and nutrition environments for children and supporting parents to help make really great choices and supporting their kids to promote better health long term. I think you, you mentioned the word passionate about it. You know, you've got a lot of passions. You can just hear it in your voice. It's, it's quite amazing. I'm sure all the all the listeners tuning in will certainly be able to pick up on that. And, and just the last thing on yourself, talking about raising awareness about these different things and, and all these things you're passionate about, you do have, you know, various media roles um, in these ambassadorial positions. You, you know, you're involved in, in print media, you've done te- television, you're, you've, you know, you're on radio. Um, is this, again, just about having the platform and utilising it to get across the message that you are so passionate about? I just, I genuinely believe that there is so much education and information out there um, in and around exercise and the ways that it can help people. But I'm not quite convinced that it gets to the right people in the right way to actually have an impact on our society. So what I am, and I'll use the word passionate about again, is finding different forums and different platforms to get those messages out and to help people, I suppose, understand, build better levels of health literacy and take action on these things. So instead of academics having the information, instead of educational institutions having this information, we need to be getting this information to people in a user-friendly way that they can take action and really have measurable change. So on that note, I guess it's probably a good chance to, we've spoken about exercise physiology and you know we've said that's, that's what you do, et cetera, but what exactly is it? I mean, it, it sounds fancy. Um, you know, you said you're also an exercise scientist. So how do the two differ? Um, and, and I guess what does it look like day to day and what sort of outcomes are you trying to achieve? So accredited exercise physiologists and accredited exercise scientists both work on the idea of using exercise as almost like a, a treatment modality. The main difference between an AEP, so an accredited exercise physiologist, and an AES, which is an accredited exercise scientist, is that um, exercise Exercise scientists mainly work with a population that do not have complex and chronic health conditions, so what we would call a mainstream type of population, whereas AEPs are specifically trained to work with people that have different types of chronic and complex conditions and pathologies. So we have those postgraduate degrees and tertiary backgrounds to really understand the physiology, the anatomy, the biomechanics, and how to actually look at the um, the effects of exercise into integrating that into somebody's um, everyday life to improve their health where they do have a health issue. 
Right. Okay. So essentially, if I'm, uh, you know, just someone walking in off the street and I, I might just want to get a little bit fitter, um, you know, incorporate more exercise into my life, I'll probably look towards um, an exercise scientist. Whereas yes. if I've got a specific condition such as diabetes or um, whatever it might be, you maybe it's an injury, um, I will work more specifically with an exercise physiologist. Absolutely. And making sure that the exercise physiologist that you do see is actually an accredited health professional as well. Um, We are governed by an organisation called Exercise and Sports Science Australia, and they are rigorous in in our accreditation requirements. So you really want to make sure if you do have a chronic or complex type of condition or injury that you are seeing an exercise physiologist that has an A at the front for accredited. Interesting. Nice little, that's like the little tips and tricks that I, I would not have even known that, to be honest. So when people come to you, um, is it referrals from doctors or, or physicians or specialists, or do they sort of just find you know about find out about you on Google or whatever it might be, or is it a bit of a combination? It's usually a bit of a combination. So I know, let's say when when we have an accredited exercise physiologist working in a hospital, it's usually by a specialist referral or a doctor's referral into that organisation. Um, when we look at something like a private practice, and I can take my private practice for example, um, we get people um, looking at our website and and inquiring that way. So through Google, we get doctor's referrals, we get specialist referrals. We're very much a word of mouth though business when I actually look at our practice. But um, exercise physiologists in general will have a whole array of referral networks. And now specifically, I suppose, with you know the work you do um, in exercise physiology and, and diabetes. Obviously, this is the Diabetes Victoria podcast. Um, why diabetes? Um, you said you have a, have a special interest in, in health and, and in things like um, diabetes and, and obesity, but why diabetes? Because there's obviously an array of certain conditions that you probably could have specialised in or, or worked in. Diabetes is my absolute love. It just, it is. That's the way that it is. Um, when I take myself back to uni days, I, I met a gentleman by the name of Ken. Now, Ken was my very first patient. I would say patient because I was in that setting and, and Ken had diabetes And when I worked with Ken and I did his assessment and I worked with him exercise programming over a period of time, what I saw was change. I saw measurable change in his health status as far as metrics go, evidence goes. So I saw changes in his HbA1c, in his cholesterol, in his blood pressure. And then I started to see changes in Ken as a human being as well and feeling more confident in his life. And what I really picked up and learnt from that experience, and I saw heaps of other types of clients as well, and musculoskeletal and injury and getting people back to work. But Ken was special um, because what I saw in Ken was a change in his outlook, but there was a distinct link to that exercise programming and health change in a very short period of time. Ken got off all of his medication in that period of time, and it was it was a moment and a, and a time in my life that would just never leave me. I saw the true power of exercise as medicine. So at that point in time, um, obviously you're involved in the field and, and you've got a pretty good understanding of the human body and, and you know, I suppose living a healthy lifestyle, et cetera. What was your understanding of diabetes specifically like though? Did, did you know people who'd had it, um, maybe family members, friends, et cetera, or um, at that point in time, was it still very much, um, I, I guess, something you needed to find out about or maybe you had stereotypes in your head that you sort of had to fight through? It's a, it's a really great question, actually. Thank you for asking that because to be quite honest, and, and here's my vulnerability coming out here as a university student, 
my knowledge bank in and around that was really limited. We had a couple of readings on it. You're given a couple of sites to look at and then here's somebody that has this condition. And my knowledge base in and around that condition at the time was really, really limited. Um, And I don't feel like there was a lot of public awareness around at that time to have a lot of general knowledge. It was, here's a pathology, now work with it. It was that sort of mentality. And it wasn't until I worked with him and then I started to work with more people. And I think I opened myself up to working with people more so living with diabetes and talking to doctors about it, that they started referring more people. And then the more that I worked with people living with this condition, the more I actually understood both the physiological as well as the psychological aspects and even the stigma attached to this condition as well. 100%. So, I mean, for those who have never been, I guess, around diabetes, and and I certainly was one before being diagnosed, the stereotypes of either they ate too much sugar or they just didn't eat well, or they might be a little bit older or they don't exercise enough or they've got a poor diet. But as you know, it can certainly be uh, much more specific and and extenuating circumstances than, than just that. Completely. And I think particularly when people are newly diagnosed, you know, we really need to be understanding at that point in time that that's a big shock to people and there's an adjustment period. And what I've really become to understand and respect about people that are going through this is that it's actually a journey and it's it's a journey where people should have the respect and the care and the team around them to help them in the best way that they can and teams really need to have that empathy as well as knowledge and skill set to help people move through these different stages and through the journey. So when when working with, with people with diabetes, are you uh, speci- specifically trained in, in one specific type of diabetes or is it type 1, type 2, gestational and all the other types that sort of come fall under those umbrellas, I suppose? So my specific area of interest has evolved over time and what I really, I suppose, enjoy working with the most are people living with type 2 diabetes and people that are on the verge of developing diabetes as well. And I think that comes back to, again, the power that I saw in the exercise programming for Ken, specifically in and around altering that exercise prescription and and lifestyle-based interventions. That's where I feel like my skill set is actually best served and I've developed an interest in, in and around those areas. And this is where I suppose, you know, someone like yourself as an exercise physiologist um, is certainly much more uh, trained, I suppose, in that area than, um, you know, if, if I've got diabetes and I, I want to get a little bit fitter and, and start an exercise regime rather than just going to my local gym and, and working with a personal trainer there, um, I know that an exercise physiologist is more specifically trained in, in my individual area. Absolutely. And we really do want to make sure that we risk assess some, you know, anybody starting an exercise program with any type of health condition, whether it be diabetes or something else, you know, engaging with an accredited health professional to risk assess and to assess where you're at and set up that journey and that pathway is extremely important. So anybody living with a chronic or complex health condition, really, really advocate for for getting involved. And then on that, um, I think sometimes, you know, people can be quite uh, fearful of change um, and, and making an adjustment to a lifestyle, but you're not there to completely come over the top and change their complete care management system, are you? You, you are there to work in conjunction with doctors, educators, diabetes nurses, um, 
endocrinologists. You're there to work with these people, not against them, and, and completely try and reinvent the wheel as such. Completely. We, we're a team collaborator and we each have our areas of expertise and, and coming in and working with people like an accredited practicing dietitian, a credentialed diabetes educator, GPs, practice nurses, endocrinologists. I mean, the power, the absolute power in getting all those health professionals together, talking the same language and having that person that is living with the condition as the center of the care and as a, as a collaborative partner themselves, that is super important. And it's certainly not about one intervention is better than the other. And we're just going to steamroll the rest of everyone else. And this becomes the priority. It's about looking at the person, what they need and setting up the map or setting up the journey and supporting them in it. And so how important is that individualization of it? You talk about putting the person at the center. Yes. Um, obviously, you know, you said you might specialize in the area of type two, but if someone with type one comes to you, um, as you know, I'm type one myself, I'm going to be very different to what they are in terms of history of uh, how long I've had diabetes, how I manage it, how fit I am, my history in terms of exercise. Um, I'm obviously six foot seven and weigh a hundred kilograms. This person's probably not going to be that big. So eating different foods will impact me differently. Yes. Um, different lifestyles in terms of different jobs. Some people might work outdoors as a tradies. Some people might be inside office workers, stay at home mums, etc. So yes. how important is that individualization aspect? And then what sort of steps are, are taken to really tailor a program individually? Awesome question. So we we take anyone on a journey whether they're living with diabetes, whether they're not living with diabetes, whether they're type 1 or type 2, just it doesn't matter what it is. It's about taking somebody on a journey. And the really important thing is is looking at where somebody is at at the start, looking at where we need to take them to, and then reverse engineering that basically. And that's how we get a bit of a treatment man, treatment plan or a treatment map that way. So we need to, as health professionals, be really good at asking the right questions and establishing um, things like past medical history, medications, experience with physical activity, likes and dislikes. If somebody hates physical activity, although I know, let's say, evidence-wise and exercise prescription-wise, five days a week at this intensity, blah, 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 is going to be ideal for them, I really need to pull myself back from that and say, what are we trying to do with this particular person that has put up their hand to ask for help at this particular time in their life? And I think as a health professional, we also need to be really good at asking a very single question, apart from all the medical history stuff as well, is why? Why has that person at this particular point in time asked for help? And what's important to them before we ask any of those other questions? They're the type of questions that we can get answers to in a couple of minutes, but it's really understanding people's motivations and what's important to them before we even get to that to set up their journey. And then I guess on that journey, it's about taking it step by step. And, and, and I guess we've got the end goal of, of why we are there. Now, some people might have a goal sort of weight or, or a goal HbA1c or whatever it might be. Um, but like when you're driving to your next destination, you, you have to take the first corner at the time and then the next corner, um, you know, you can't you have to walk before you run, all these kinds of analogies, I, I guess. Love it. But it, yeah. it's the same type of thing, isn't it? It's not yeah. about, all right, we need to be at, XHBA1C, so we're completely overhauling your lifestyle. It's about one step at a time and getting you there gradually in a, in a trained and, and safe way. Completely. And who says that one particular HBA1C is relevant for every person? Who says that one particular metric is what everybody has to aspire to be working towards? 
It's what's important to that person and what is the overall health outcome that we are trying to achieve. And that very idea of progress over perfection, it's step by step. So if we focus on the progress rather than the outcome, the outcome is just the byproduct of the progress and the process involved focusing on that progress over time and working out what is relevant and meaningful. Some of that might have some metrics involved. Some of it might have a waist circumference involved or a particular blood pressure, but it's not the be all and end all of everything that we need to work towards. I think that sort of mentality can potentially set people up for feeling like they're a failure if they don't get it first time around. Yeah, which absolutely we all know we're not. Every elite person, whether it be Einstein or Michael Jordan or or whoever it might be in an elite field, will always talk about their steps of failure on their progress to success. And I guess probably, again, the thing about something like exercise physiology and and making it part of, um, I, I guess, your regime is I suppose, you know, it's it's a human need to be accepted and, and to be like everyone else. And by definition, when you're living with diabetes, you've got something that just makes you a little bit different. So I guess sometimes the um, the reluctance to get involved in, in a, a training regime might be that um, you feel like the trainer hasn't seen someone with diabetes before or what you've got is different to what they've had to deal with and you might feel like a bit of a nuisance or um, you're a bit nervous around that. But you guys are specifically trained in these areas and there is no stupid question. There is um, nothing that's too hard to fix. There is nothing that is too different to anything you've ever seen before. Yes, and we're, you know, we're very understanding that people – can feel that way before coming to see us. And, you know, honestly speaking, in all of my years of experience in working in this field, we tend to be one of the the last people in in the um, in the healthcare team that people do engage with because there is a lot of fear and there's a lot of reluctance. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that there's a misunderstanding about who somebody needs to be almost to come and see us. Everyone is special. Everyone is unique. And that very moment that somebody says, I'm ready and I'm, I'm ready to ask for help and accept help, accredited exercise physiologists are there to do it. Um, and, I, you know, I personally understand the reluctance and almost the resistance sometimes to come and, and, and see an exercise physiologist because the word exercise in itself might bring about a whole lot of different meaning to different people depending on their past experience or how somebody has even talked about that referral to them. So if if somebody like a GP has referred somebody living with this condition to an exercise physiologist but hasn't really explained properly to that person what to expect um, or what they could even gain from that experience, there can be a lot of fear and a lot of reluctance. People hold on to these referrals for about six months sometimes before they reach out and actually say, I'm ready to make that appointment. And so I think if we get more, um, more information out there and, and that that idea that, that we, we're accepting of, of everybody and that, that moment that somebody feels like they're ready to be helped, we're here to help. Yeah. And that's essentially what they want to hear. You are, you are here to help. Just quickly, sort of, I guess, to finish up and, and to wrap up, Um, And and we have to be very careful here. We're not here to give tailored individual advice to people and and everything you do, whether it be starting an exercise exercise regime or or trialing a new diet or starting a new type of exercise, um, maybe adjusting the way that you, um, you know, bolus yourself around exercise. All this stuff needs to be done in conjunction with your diabetes management and care team. Yes. But it is, you know, we're just about a month into, into the new year, I guess. 
Um, what kind of things for everyone, you know, I want to get fitter next year. I want to do this. I want to start exercising more. In terms of a couple of general hints and, and, and tips for people who might be listening and, and just somewhere to start, what, what kind of things can you tell them? The first thing that I would suggest is to look, look at different ways to reduce sedentary behavior. So stillness throughout the day. So be mindful of where your where your sitting habits are at and try and start breaking some of those up as a step one. What that will make you feel is actually a sense of accomplishment and a sense of achievement. And before you know it, you'll be looking for other opportunities to move throughout the day. And that's my second piece of advice is to actually look for opportunities to move. They're not going to come and find you, unfortunately. You have to go and find them. You need to be eyes wide open and be looking for opportunities. Um, And so that's in and around, I would say, your non-structured type of physical activity. And we know that a combination of the non-structured plus the structured is actually the best recipe. So my third piece of advice and my little tip in there is we need to start with some sort of structured activity in our week. And that might be starting to look at um, introducing a walking program. So the cardiovascular side of things, or it might be starting to look at introducing some resistance-based activity or some strengthening-based activity. Again, reach out for help and advice on where to start with those things so it is individually prescribed. Um, But keeping in mind that we have four main exercise prescription principles, and that's frequency, intensity, time, and type. And if we work with the recommendations around those principles with the appropriate health professional, as well as look for opportunities to move, you're really on the right path there. And I guess, you know, for me, just to, I suppose, finish and wrap up, I mean, being an ex-elite athlete, it's sort of quite easy for us to sit here. Obviously, you're trained in the area. You're an exercise physiologist. I'm an ex-elite athlete, so I understand exactly what you're talking about. For some of the people listening, this uh, lingo may be unfamiliar to them. It may be daunting, um, and it almost may be turning them off rather than getting involved because they go, oh, I don't know what that means, and it just sounds too hard. Um, I, I, You know what? Stuff it. It's too hard. I guess the, the overall message is, you, you know, you just got to start somewhere and, and yes. to jump into it. And as you said, it has to be done in, as an individualized program as part of your care management team, but starting somewhere is better than not starting at all. Just start. If, there, if there's one take-home message that I can really implore people to, um, to take from this, it's, it's just start something because the reality is this. Practically, and research tells us this as well, is anything is better than nothing. So just start. And just before we go, Nicole, it's probably worth touching on, I suppose, the accessibility of exercise physiologists and and how to get started on your exercise program and how to find it. People will say how expensive it is or or it's hard to get in contact with one that they know or they trust. So um, where are you guys found and and what sort of programs are there in place to make it more affordable and, and I suppose more achievable and realistic to, to get involved in? Great question. And accessibility is a really important topic, I think, to talk about. Um, And there are a couple of different ways that people can reach out to an exercise physiologist. So where we are, let's look at where we are. You've got private practice, exercise physiologists, and then you've also got exercise physiologists that work out of community health centres and public hospitals. So there are access through GP management plans and team cycle of care arrangements where if you wanted to go and see somebody in a private practice, you could go and speak to your GP where they could actually develop um, a a Medicare individualised program uh, or referral for you. And that will enable you to get subsidised one-on-one visits with an exercise physiologist. If you are somebody living with type 2, 
2 diabetes, there's also an additional item that you can access and it's a group-based item. So if you're um, already getting your cycle of care completed and you're looking at a collaborative sort of team where you might have individual visits allocated to some exercise physiology or credentialed diabetes educator, do also keep in mind if you do have type 2, you can also ask your doctor for a referral for a group-based intervention and you can have both of those on your annual cycle of care where you can actually get subsidised group-based visits in a private setting. Um, And for those people that would prefer to go to a community health setting or a public hospital setting, you can also get a referral to those institutions, which will be very low cost or no cost. So to find the information you've just spoken about, is it jump on the internet and Google it and search for it? um, Or do we contact Diabetes Victoria specifically and they'll be able to fill us in with more information? I think the best way is to actually jump on the Exercise and Sports Science Australia website where you can find where I was talking about before the A in front of the EP. So the accredited exercise physiologist. So if you jump on www.essa.org.au, there's actually a postcode search uh, availability on that website. And if you're punching your postcode um, within a two kilometre, five kilometre or 10 kilometre radius, all of the accredited exercise physiologists will pop up in that area. And then the other thing that I would always encourage people to do is to go back and have a discussion with their current diabetes uh, team and their doctor, as well as a part of that, to, to actually understand if they have a known and trusted network of accredited exercise physiologists that they would be very happy to have involved in your healthcare team. I think it's a great way to finish, Nicole. We, I could continue talking to you for hours and hours, but we have just about run out of time. So I really appreciate you coming on. It's, it's been great to not only hear about your journey and, and you know, the, the eight, 873 million things that you're doing, but, um, you know, your passion for diabetes, your passion for working with children, your passion for obesity, um, and then also, I guess, the actual insight into what exercise physiologists can do, how they can benefit you, and and at the end, some, some tips on how to get started. And and maybe, you know, 2020 might be the new year for you to to uh, get a bit more active. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, as I said, I've always enjoyed working with you, and I look forward to it going forward. Thanks so much, Jack. I appreciate you inviting me on here today and awesome work on this podcast series. Been loving it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au. Or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.